We begin this parasha, this week's portion, with the words, Ki milchama, when you go out to war. So if you look in the Torah, when you open up the scroll, if you're looking for like where you begin on Monday or tomorrow, sometimes people make a mistake because you have on the cloth in front of you, Ki milchama, and if you go back one, you have Ki milchama. So people sometimes point to the wrong one because it's the same exact opening words and it's only one page apart, the beginning of a paragraph. So we read at the end of last week, when you go out to war. So it's talking about when you go out to war is milchemet reshut. There's two types of war. There's a milchemet mitzvah. That's a, a war that you're commanded to go to by God. And that kind of war, there are no captives. You don't take captives, you basically kill everybody, kill everybody or you leave. You don't take captives. With regard to Milchemet Reshut, that's where you have captives. So last week we spoke about Milchemet, uh, the, the, law, the rules of Milchemet, Milchemet Reshut. So that's, for example, where David HaMelech is going to, to take territory, or King Solomon is going to take territory. And it says the, the Kohen Gadol comes out, and he says to all the soldiers, they all assemble. He says to them, whoever just got married and they weren't with their wife, go home. Whoever planted a vineyard, whoever built a house and he didn't live in his house, go home because you don't want to die in the war and never live in your house. Whoever planted a vineyard and didn't eat from the grapes, go home. And then the leaders come out and say, and whoever is afraid, go home. So the funny, there was a play that the Maskilim used to put on in the, in the end of the, or the beginning of the 20th century the Maskilim, the enlightened Jews of Europe. And they were the ones who were some, the, 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 the beginning of the anti-religious, really anti-religious. And they used to put on a play. And in this play, they would show the Jewish, the Jewish method of going to war. And they'd make fun of the religious with regard to the possibility of taking Eretz Israel. They were talking about taking Eretz Israel. So they would put on the stage 200 people and the Kohen guy dressed up like the Kohen Gadol would get on the stage and he would say, whoever got married and wasn't with his wife, go off. A few guys go. And whoever, whatever, a few more guys go. And whoever planted the vineyard, a few more. And whoever's afraid, meaning, meaning now it says, when it says afraid, it means why is he afraid? Because he made a sin. If a person made a sin, he wouldn't be under the protection of God. What was the sin that he made? The sin was that he that when he was putting on his tefillin on the hand, he put it on, and before he put on the tefillin of his head, he talked. It's a minor, minor, not really even a sin, but such a minor thing. He was sort of disconnecting my action from my thinking, and therefore he shouldn't go to war because he doesn't have protection. So he would say, and whoever's afraid, meaning whoever's afraid or did a sin, go home. It says, and there's two guys left on the stage, two rabbis with a beard down to your belly button. One is wearing a sign, it says, the Vilna Gaon, and the other one is wearing a sign, says the Shagat Aryeh, who's an <laughs> unbelievable rabbi, he lived till he was 90, when he was 80. He guaranteed he got hired by a synagogue when he was 60, and they were worried that he's too old. And he told them, listen, I guarantee you I'll be your rabbi for 30 years. I said, okay, we'll hire you. When he was 88, he was putting away a book on the ladder and he fell. And they thought he was going to die. And he prayed to God, he said, please, I promised them 30 years. And he lived another two more years. 
So this guy, these are the two guys that they're saying is left. So they're making fun. This is what they think the religious, this is what they think the army is. So the Rav Chaim Salavechik, the rabbi of Brisk, when he heard that they did this, he started to laugh. He said, the truth is that those two guys would win the war alone. <laughs> he says, and when you think of what the Jewish army is supposed to be, it's supposed to be an army of... So if you're thinking these are the guys who are going to war, this is who's the guys who are going to war. So you begin this week's parasha, and you have the, the, same, the same question. You talk about, so, so when I heard this, so this, this week's parasha begins with, when you go out to war, and you see a beautiful woman, and your heart goes pitter-patter, right? And you want to be with her. So the question really you're going to ask is, what do you mean? The, the guys who are going to war are supposed to be these pure guys. They see a woman and their heart goes pitter-patter. And it talks about taking this woman and you could make her your wife. So I heard a story of one of the rabbis from Isha Torah. He said he was, he, they were doing a class and it was ask anything you want. They came in, he came in and there was a class of about 30 people and no one prepared a subject. He said, whatever you want, we'll, we'll do. And he said he's sitting there in the class and it's all secular people who never learned anything. And one of the guys goes, hey, Rabbi, why don't we look at the weekly portion? He opens up Kitetz and he's going to talk about the secular and all women sitting there about taking a woman and grabbing her. So, no problem. Anyway, so uh, he said he said that he uh, huh? He said that he you know he didn't know what to do. He said it was like baptism by fire. You know he's gonna try to figure out how to give a class. He says, but if secular Israeli soldiers knew this law then Israel would go to war against Sweden tomorrow. <laughs> so, right? But I thought it was very funny when he said that to me. So it says, You go out to war against your enemy. And God, your God, gives them in your hands. You win the war. So it says, miracle that you win the war. It's miraculous war. You see that God is the one who won the war. You see miracles in front of your face. And now you have captives to carry away. Viraita, and you see, Bashivya, among the captives, Eshet Yefatoa, a beautiful woman. Vechashaktaba, and you desire her. He says, Vilakakta lecha leisha. And you could take her for a wife. You could take her for a wife. So the question is, what is the woman doing out in the battle? Why is she a captive? If she's, why is she out by the battle? During, during those days, didn't they have women that they used as subterfuge? Yeah, so, so that's cheerleaders, basically. Right, the right. first cheerleaders you had. Right. Basically, the, the, so I saw a rabbi, Rabbi Milstein, he quotes, I never saw, he said that you have ancient, uh, ancient writings that show that the Goyim, the, the non-Jews in the area, knew that the Jewish army was different than any other army. They knew it was a holy army. So what did they do? They knew that the way to destroy Bnei Israel was always through getting them to commit some, some sexual, sexual perversity, something like that. So what would they do? They would send out women to the front, and they would send the women dressed in very, exactly, very, like, no, Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, you know, like, uh, and they would try to draw the attention of the soldier to distract them from the war because remember you met on the battlefront okay we're going to meet at 2 o'clock and we're going at each other 
So on the sidelines, you had these women who were trying to hoo-hoo and get their attention, and uh, and also to get them to then you know the rabbis would say to get them to think about the wrong thing, and then God's going to get angry. Which is boom. What what happened in class? Right. So that's the story we have with Moab. That's the story we have with Bilam. That's the story we have even with the wife of Tunis Rufus when she wants to seduce Rabbi Akiva because she tells her husband, "Don't worry, I'm going to get this rabbi." God hates someone who does something immoral. I'm going to get him to sleep with me and it'll be over. In the end, he doesn't sleep with her. In the end, she converts and she marries him. So I think that's a good story. So I think that's really similar to what we have here. So he had two wives. Rabbi Akiva had at least three wives. Every one of his wives, Rachel was the first wife. Her father was Kalva Savua. He was the wealthiest man in the country. His second wife, was also very wealthy. He inherited all of her money. And the third wife was the wife of Tunis Rufus, who was also very wealthy, and wow. he inherited all of her money. So Rabbi Akiva sat in the Bet Midrash all day, married three rich women, and was and a very it. wealthy man. So that's the secret that you have to learn. You want to marry a wife, you have to marry a, right? marry a wealthy woman. So we have now, so you go out into this war, in the middle of this war, and, and he sees this woman, this cheerleader, who came out to entice him. Right? So she comes out to entice him. And what are you going to do? You want to marry her. You bring her to your house. You take her home with you. So I say, imagine really what happens. You have this guy who's a religious guy. And he comes home. And he has this girl. And his wife is home, and he sees him bring this girl in the house. And he says, well, honey, you found me a housekeeper? <laughs> says, no, no, not a housekeeper. This is my new wife. <laughs> She's going to kill him. Okay. <laughs> so he brings this girl home. He says, You shave her head. Okay? You shave her head. I don't know if it's, if it's let them grow or maybe cut her nails. The hisira et simlat shivya. And you remove her Dallas Cowboy cheerleader outfit, the outfit she was using to entice, me'aleha, from, from upon her. So you dress her in plain clothing. And she sits in your house. She lives with you. She cries over her father and her mother. And she's whatever her past was that she left. She's there. Yerach yamim. It's interesting. He uses yerach as opposed to Chodesh, meaning a month. She basically comes and lives in your house after you shaved her head and after you cut her nails and after you change her clothes. She gets to live in your house for 30 days and, and deal with the situation. And after that, you come to her and you marry her. She becomes your wife. She becomes your wife. So it says that now she, she becomes your wife. It's one of the 613 mitzvot. And meaning she becomes your wife means she gets the ketubah. And she gets the food. And she gets the clothing. And she gets the time. And she gets the jewelry. And she gets the credit cards. Like any other wife. She gains, she gains really the, the rights of a Jewish woman. Completely. Right. So now the, the question really is. Rashi says... Uh, the Torah continues if you don't like her you send her away you can't sell her with money 
you can't deal with her uh, poorly because you made her suffer you have to pay to take care of her to let her go on her own she's a free woman okay so it's going to cost you you have to take care of her for the month and then you have to let her go so the question really is what's going on in the Torah Rashi writes something very hard he writes he writes that he writes using these words he uses these words the words of the Torah are against the Yetzir Hara he says basically that if the Torah did not permit her to you you would have taken her illicitly so the Torah is giving you a way to take her okay now you know I said it's, it's, a, it's a rough subject in the Me Too uh, world right you know what do you mean the guy sees the girl and that's it he could take her and she has no choice about it if we look in the Yerushalmi, the Yerushalmi translates all of this exactly as it's written. The Yerushalmi basically follows these steps. He says he sees the woman. He's not allowed to touch her. He's not allowed to sleep with her. He could take her home. She sits in his house for the month. And after a month, he could marry her like a regular woman. When you look also at Ramban, Ramban says the same thing. He's not allowed to touch her until he takes her home and marries her. Rav Sadia Gaon, when he codifies the mitzvot, this is mitzvah number 74, he writes specifically, if an, an individual desires a woman that he captures in war, he's commanded to convert her. He can't do anything until she converts. The problem is, Rashi writes, no, he's doing something else. And Rashi is based on the Talmud Babli, the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud, based on the Gemara and Kiddushin, says, no, 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 no. He sees her. He's allowed to rape her. And after he rapes her, he has to go through this process. So the, the, the question you ask on the, on the Gemara is, if Ramban says he's not, and who agrees with this Gemara and the Bavli? Rambam, Maimonides. So Maimonides, and, and that's where Rashi quotes the Gemara, and he says, Dibra Torah keneged yetzer hada. The Torah comes to accommodate an individual's most base instincts, allowing him to be with this woman. So the question is, if the guy's a righteous guy, how is it possible to let it happen? How is it possible? Doesn't it say, So now we're saying, but in this case, we've given now, it's got, it's got, we've oh, given now a, a permission because the Yetzirah is going to overwhelm him. And if you didn't give him a way to do it, he's going to do it anyway. So, what happens so I say, what about, so you should give me once a month, I, you know, I really want to eat the bacon. You know, not really. Yes. But imagine if I'm like, I want to eat bacon. So once a month, give me a day or once a year, give me. You know, like you have those diets, you know, I have once a week, eat whatever you want day. So give me, so that, you know, to battle the Yetzirah, once a year I should have eat bacon day. So what's what does the that mean? Here by contradicting yeah, but, but, what he says in Parashat Kedoshim? It's contradicting it. <laughs> a contradiction. My, my thinking on this is, I think that the Torah is doing two things at the same time. It's trying to establish complete rights for this woman, complete Jewish rights. But in the field, this woman doesn't have any rights. She doesn't even have the rights of a slave. Mm -hmm. And so to begin a legal process, there has to be a claimant. So the colonel can't just say, I found her first. She's mine. So the BI is the claimant. Right. So the BI allows, so that's allows interesting. him to claim her. You understand what that is? Yeah? Okay, to explain. There's three it's ways to be... It's literal at this point. There's three ways... It's not a woman. Maybe, yeah, no, ahead. it's a woman. 
There's three ways to betroth the woman, right? One of the ways to betroth the woman is through biyah. Okay, if a man and woman sleep together, and he says, "I'm gonna, I'm marrying you," then the the the. But was on the duress. She's not. Who's duress? Her woman. For sure, it's on the duress. It's on, which means it's a, it's a so she. No, that's why we have to go to the thing. It seems. It seems she doesn't have a choice. Yeah. In well, this case, so we're going to try to understand forget, this how it's possible. Came, this woman came to the field. With so intent, that's the other side. Intent to do bia. No, if she came to the field, you're right. She came with the intent, but watch. Yeah, what? Where do we right. see? To do so now the, the, the hard thing is this: she came with intent to to entice the soldier. So that was her mission, basically. Her mission was that she just was right. Right. No, no, that was her mission. That was her mission. It was a mutual agreement. That was her mission. That I'm going to entice. But now the war is over. Yeah. She's not there to entice anymore. So they lost the battle. They lost the battle, so she's done. Right. So what do you do to her? You would kill her. Yeah. You would just kill her because she's what? Just get rid of them. Yeah. She's got no rights. So to give her rights, you've got to start somewhere legally. And that way you... That's, that's going against her will. Let's try to understand. Yeah. So I saw one. I saw well, one. Maybe there's just the idea of the war is over. You're not supposed to take anything... Of value, you're supposed to annihilate everything, but this that's, is value. So that's so how do I mitzvah. Milchemet mitzvah, a commanded war, you just kill them all. Right. So she wouldn't even be in. There's no. Desire. There's nothing. Get rid of everybody. It's only in this kind of a war that there's the possibility. The question is, what's going on? So we're gonna try to we're gonna try to resolve. So I saw one interesting answer. One of my daughter's teachers from Harova, his name is Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Michael Sussman, he suggests that, the, that really when it says Dibra Torah Keneged Yetzer, he says really what he's saying is that, that when a soldier goes out to war, and he quotes uh, this rabbi, he quotes a rabbi Baruch Epstein, he says that, that Yetzer, the, he says the Yetzer Hara, is you could do this only during times of war. He says, when a person, when a soldier is going to fight, an army needs to be totally locked in on its mission. We cannot allow anything, not even morality, to take away from our chances of succeeding in that mission. So you're, you're taking a guy who's a good guy. He wouldn't harm a fly. The fly is there. He's going to tell the fly, go away before he kills the fly. He's going to open the door, make sure carry the bug outside now you're telling this guy not only does he hit someone a guy who would never hit anybody but he has an obligation to kill he has to go down to his animal person in order to accomplish he said a soldier who's distracted by restrictions on his sexual urges will be a less effective soldier he says therefore the Torah reluctantly allows for Yifat Torah Though only in a situation where the urge is overwhelming and even then within the limitations delineated by the Torah. So this is a clause in the contract. That's, That's what he's what saying. It is. It's a clause. Yeah. Now, the Raubag is interesting. The Raubag claims that the Torah, on the one hand, allowed for the rape and subsequent marriage, but on the other hand, did everything possible to discourage it. What do you mean? He's telling the guy, if you sleep with her, guess what? You marry her. Are you sure you really want to do that? And the guy then is going to think. He's going to think, should I or shouldn't I? So further, there's a Midrash that Rashi says. And it says further that you have to know you're going to get yourself in trouble, which we'll explain a little later when it comes to David Amela. 
type of abuse was considered acceptable both legally and morally. Those who fell in captivity were considered the property of the victors. Many of them were killed and publicly abused. That's why King Saul asked to be killed with his own sword rather than be caught by the Philistines. He says, Some were slaughtered as sacrifices on the altars of their gods, while others were taken for murderous games and used as gladiators in wars against wild beasts or between one another until they died. So if you were caught in a war, it wasn't fun. In most cases, a large percentage of the men were killed and the rest were sold as slaves. The beautiful and young woman were fortunate that they weren't killed, but rather first the soldiers would rape them as they pleased, and when they finished, the women were thrown into cages of, pro- of prostitutes or sold as slaves and concubines. This was the norm in the ancient world. So when the Torah is writing this, that woman has no rights. Therefore, it was common practice among the nations that when defeat was imminent, the women would adorn themselves in order to appeal to the victorious soldiers and thus save their lives. Many of them harbored the hope that perhaps one of the enemy soldiers would covet and protect her, wishing to use her as a concubine, and perhaps afterwards she would even be able to improve her standing and be legitimately considered his second wife or maybe even his first wife. And if not, then at the very least she would be sold as a concubine to an old, sick, and crippled man who would not abuse her too much. That was their hope. And if lucky enough, she would bear him a child, and then he might even support her and save her from dying of starvation. Because once these women, that was it. There was no one there for them. Yeah. It was over. It's a go further. Parents would even help their own daughters to adorn themselves as it was the only chance to save them and possibly have their seed continue existing in the world because in most places they were useless, they were killed to reduce the number of people who needed to be fed, wars were fought over sustenance, and consequently one of the objectives was to kill the vanquished and inherit the fields. Further, some women even came to the throne in this manner, such as the captive Martha Skavranskaya, I don't know. Initially, she was a, a soldier, took her captive. She became his mistress. Following this, the commander liked her and he took her. After that, the commander in chief took her, and then the notable minister Menshikov, I guess this is Russian, set his eyes on her. He then took her for himself. When the Tsar Peter the Great, Musical the pants. symbol of Russian enlightenment, saw her, he craved her and took her for himself. Not only that, but so that his first wife wouldn't cause any problems. He took his first wife and he stuck her into the convent. He didn't kill her. (laughs) Until the end of her life. And he married this captive woman legally. And she changed her name. And who did she become? Catherine the First. Wow. When he died, she became the Tsarina of Russia. And she led Russia in 1727. Who was she? Eshe Yifatoa. <laughs> in 1727. So this is thousands of years after the Torah's writing. He says for the last hundreds of years. She'd been like through five. the soldier, his commander, the minister Menshikov, and then the Tsar. She was handed over four times. I guess she must have been a really pretty lady. <laughs> okay. So it goes for the last hundreds of years, along with the eradication of slavery in Europe. The legal, so things started to change. He goes, but you have to think even through World War II 
At the end of any battle, it was customary to set aside three days following the occupation of a city when law and order was overlooked so that the soldiers were able to plunder and rape women freely on the condition that the brutality wasn't over-exaggerated. When the first three days ended, the law of war prohibiting looting, rape, and murder began to be enforced only after three days. None of this changed until 1949 and the Fourth Geneva Convention, 1949. And even after 1949, we still have today. The Taliban, the this, they go in and all rules are off. So if you think of the laws of Eshet Yifat and you relate it to what the world was like, you see that this is a very generous, even though it looks to be horrible, it's very generous. The Rambam, he writes, so the Rambam writes in Hilchot Melachim and, and, uh, and, and wars, in the laws of kings and wars, he writes, he writes that, ideally in times of war, a soldier is required to guard himself against any thoughts of sexual immorality and think only about saving Israel and victory in war. This is included in the general mitzvah of guarding the sanctity of the camp, even the army camp. It says, because Hashem is going to make you win, so you're in a miraculous situation, so you want to stay pure. He says, he says that after victory, while taking the woman captive, a soldier must ideally guard himself from illicit thoughts. If nevertheless he desired one of the women captives, the Torah permitted, it to ha- permitted him to have relations with her once, provided he does so with the commitment to marry her afterwards, if she's so pleased. So the Rambam is saying that the halacha is, the law is, that she must agree. She has to consent. He says that some of our sages were of the opinion, which we said before, that you couldn't do anything to until you married her. But the Rambam says no. He was allowed to sleep with her with her consent on the battlefield before he brought her home once. And then so he couldn't touch really her again. Really it doesn't so seem rape. That's based on Rambam. It goes through the details of the law. So she has to really... You have to think what would she have done. Which means he's a He's Will you marry me? Okay. We're going to sleep together, yeah, like you're saying, so that she so has claimed to her. No one else could take her. Yeah. And then that's, that's, it. It. that's it. So he, so says, so he says he shouldn't, yeah, but yeah, if he does, it's so wonderful, right? Still doesn't make sense. <laughs> if she still doesn't consent to convert and marry her, he leaves us. A, he basically, she sits, she cries for 30 days, etc., etc. After the month, if the man decides he doesn't want to marry her, she has to agree to accept the seven Noahide laws. She's released and it's forbidden for him to keep her as a servant or sell her to others. In other words, if in the end he didn't want her, in retrospect, the first time he had relations with her, he had violated her. In retrospect, he says, and in order to compensate, he has to set her free. If after a month he wants her, she agrees to convert and marry him, he marries her, she gets the credit card. As long, as long but he can never divorce her. He can divorce he can her. Divorce her. Yeah, yeah, he can. He I didn't see. rape her. It's not like, like the case of someone who rapes someone, okay. marries her. He he's not allowed. To All right. Unless he doesn't, unless he doesn't marry somebody else. If he marries somebody else, yeah, he four wives. He can go back to his first wife. Yeah, four. I told you the case. Oh, yeah, is. He yeah, comes yeah, home yeah. and says, "Honey, I brought someone home with me. Who yeah, is that? Didn't that? we read in the last week's parasha that if you divorce someone, 
Yeah. You can't go back to the same. Ah, if she's been with another so man. if she's been with another yeah, man. If she's been with another so man. for example, by us you have if your guy marries a woman, right. He divorces her. This is the story with Moshe say Moshe's parents. Yeah. He Amram and Yochevet. He divorces her. But they don't. They don't. They divorce. Yeah. But, and then he takes her back. The, prob- it, yeah. the problem is, is actually the Midrash says she actually went with someone else. Uh-huh. And Eldad and Meldad, remember the two guys who prophesied against yeah, Moshe? Yeah. They're born. They're actually Moshe's half-siblings. Uh, and then she goes back to, to her husband. Yeah, yeah. Sure, she goes back to her husband. So, but that's before Torah. Uh, so, but you have, a, in order to not, to not allow switchies, right. you know what's right? Yeah. To not allow right. switchies, yeah. the Torah thinks of everything. Yeah, you think so you're... Now, let's go further. Because I, I still have a problem with this. Mm-hmm. You have, and, if, and he says if he does hate, take her, the problem you still have is this whole idea of Avera, Goreret Avera, which we're going to still see in a minute. We didn't get to. Now, let's look at another way of translating. Uh, we, said, we said the other way of translating. Uh, oh, another way of translating Dibra Torah Keneged Yetzir Hara is this. It's another interesting thing. It says that in order to control the evil inclination, he has to remember that if you really want to take her, you're going to have to give her the credit cards. And that's going to make him think twice about sleeping with her in the field. The next thing it goes, it says, Pat Besalo. So the Gemara in Kitubot talks about Pat Besalo. Pat Besalo is bread in the basket. What does that mean, bread in the basket? So the Gemara says that if a person is fasting, but he has bread in the basket, meaning he has bread in front of him, it's easier for him to fast, knowing he'll have food to eat at the end of the fast, than to, not, than to have nothing in the basket and wonder what's he going to eat later, he'll become more hungry. So he says, furthermore, the example that the Gemara gives is the person who's taking the scapegoat on Yom Kippur to throw off the mountain. Everywhere he goes to stop, they say, are you hungry? We'll give you food and water. Since they're offering him food and water, and he knows they're going to continue to offer him food and water, he'll say, no, I'm fasting, I don't need to take the food and water, because he knows if he does get hungry, he'll be able to eat at the next stop, and that's called pat bisalot, bread in his basket. So what the rabbis say from this is that when you're giving him a way to permit the woman to him, he knows there's a way for me to have a, you know what, let me control myself. It's not like the Yetzirah, you can't have it no matter what. Ah, I'm going to get it. What does Shlomo and Meta say in the Stone waters. God's always looking oh, out for you. Oh. What? God's just always looking out for you. Uh, exactly what Shlomo, Shlomo and Meta yeah. says. Stone and waters are sweet. Right? Yes, it's stone and waters are sweet, exactly. Right, when it's forbidden, yeah. then I want, want it. it. But if you come up with a way, maybe uh, then, maybe I don't yeah, want exactly. it. Still going on the Peshat, look at it from the woman's point of view. The woman now... She sees, so it's very possible, I saw this was interesting, that the woman who sees the defeat of her gods and her way of life and her position, even in being sent out to entice, right? Then she's brought into the Jewish world and is understanding that she's going to become a full-fledged wife and she sees how she's treated. Suddenly, her view of the world completely changes, says, look how it was in the world of the Goyim. They sent me out to be a suicide bomber. Here, they take care of me. Wow. God gave me an opportunity, or whatever gave me an opportunity, to have a good life. 
she forgets her mother and her father, she forgets where she came from, and she sees, wow. And this is the story of the wife of Tunis Rufus. The wife of Tunis Rufus is the wife of the governor of Jerusalem, and basically she goes out to entice Rabbi Akiva, and then she sees he doesn't want to sleep with her, meaning there's, there's self-control, there's an appreciation of women, there's appreciation of what you're doing, and she says, wow, let me see what this religion is about. She starts to look at what the religion is about, and eventually she converts, her husband dies, she marries him, she dies, he gets all the money. Now, so much for the Peshat. It still bothers me that this guy, this soldier, is the Gaon from Vilna. You know, he's this rabbi kind of guy, the holiest guy, never made a sin, and he's still enticed that he has to sleep with this woman in the battlefield to bring her home. So the Ora Chaim tells something very, very deep. So let's explain the Ora Chaim. The Ora Chaim wonders how is it possible? that people on such a lofty spiritual level should become subject to feeling of such base desires. You get a guy who's completely fixed his soul. He's worked on himself so hard. How could this guy who's reached this level of spirituality just fall? Energy. (laughs) After all, we're not speaking about ordinary human beings. We're only speaking about Sadiqim on the highest level. So he he offers an explanation of all of these verses actually two explanations the first explanation is based on Adam HaRishon he says Adam is the first human being ever created the soul of Adam HaRishon encompassed every single soul that would ever be in the world when Adam HaRishon sins says that his, his soul burst as it were and the sparks or the souls that were in his souls were scattered throughout the universe at that point, the Sidrachra, the dark side, from Star Wars, right? You know? Okay, meaning the Satan, or meaning Darth Vader, or no, the guy who Darth Vader works for, the Sith, what is that guy? Yeah. Grabs those sparks and holds them captive on the side of impurity. Ever since the job of the Jewish nation is to reclaim those sparks and bring them over to, so to say, our side, the side of purity. Some of those sparks exist within the neshamot of Goyim. The neshamot of non-Jews have these sparks. And these sparks are recovered when those Goyim convert to Judaism. It says, that's where you have Ruth. So the soul of Mashiach is hiding where? In Moab. And how do you get it? When Ruth comes back. But Ruth doesn't come back on her own. She marries... Uh, the, the, you know, she Boaz. marries Boaz's. No, she marries first. Uh, uh, she's, a she's a widow. She marries first. Uh, uh, El, uh, by, uh, no, Elimelech's sons, El Machlon, Chilion, the second son. She marries Chilion, and then, uh, and then she ends up coming. She says that through this, those sparks are returned to their source. With this in mind, the Ora Chaim explains, and he tries to unlock the mystery of Eshet Yifatoah. He says the soldiers who go out are the highest level of Sadiqim. They're all Mekubalim. They're all guys who are boom. And they have not only vision, they have spiritual vision. He says when one of them is attracted, attracted to a captive woman, what does he see? He says he sees not only her physical appearance, because the Gemara says she's not really beautiful. So if she's not really beautiful, what does he see? He sees the beauty of her soul. He sees the spark of her soul. Now, if you think it's crazy, I'm going to tell you it's not crazy. Because I went last night to speak at an, uh, at an event. And this lady was giving this, one of these guys who was teaching, 
such a hard time and I'm saying I looked at this lady and I said this lady has zero spark if she says she's Jewish she's not and even if she isn't she has no spark of Kiddushah nothing in her this lady is for sure I said if you go check I guarantee you I told one of the rabbis go ask go find out he says, no, I don't want to do it. I said, go find out. You're chicken. But I guarantee you, I bet, I bet everyone there, this lady for sure, has zero connection. She's not telling the truth. She has no neshama. How can I say something like that? I'm telling you, some people you could see their neshama. You could see the chen of a person come yeah. through their eyes. You could see through their face. You could see a person whose neshama is not connected to you in any way whatsoever. Anyway, so these guys are seeing, and, they're, and if they're, I'm nothing compared to these guys. And we could see something, but they're saying, they're seeing this woman, they're attracted to her for some reason. A military confrontation with this nation brought these soldiers in contact with these goyim. This woman came to the front line for whatever reason. And her soul is awaiting to be rescued from the sitra akhra, the dark side. The dark side's holding her spark, you gotta take it. So if indeed the woman in question possesses such a spark, then the soldier is encouraged to have her convert and marry her. Before he did this, he had to make sure that it was real. So what did he do? Not just physical, had to be spiritual. So what does he do? He has to take her home, and he has to spoil her appearance. Get rid of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader outfit, because maybe that's what you're attracted to. Get rid of the hair, because that's what you're attracted to. Take away the physical covering in order to reveal the spark of the soul. And here we see the words. It says initially, He desires her. That's a word of lust. But later on it says, You want it, which is a spiritual level. So it says the person has to see if really his connection to her is external and, and physical. You know, my heart goes pitter-patter because she's, you know, a pretty girl. Or my heart goes pitter-patter because I see that we're connected on a level of souls. If the soldier feels a genuine liking for the woman after her appearance is tarnished, then we could rest assured that he's drawn to the spark in her soul, awaiting its release, and then he marries her. Otherwise, it's clear that he was drawn only to physical beauty, in which case the Torah instructs us, Veshilachta lenafsha. He has to center lenafsha. It's our own soul. It's not your nefesh. It's not connected to you. It's her soul. This is according to the second level of understanding this based on the Orachayim. So he's saying on a, on a spiritual level, how do we understand this whole thing? You can't understand it on a physical level. It makes no sense, he's saying. That's a little barbaric. Right, that's what he's saying. Okay. So on a spiritual level, what is he seeing that he desires? He sees that her neshama, her soul, wants to be part of Bnei Israel, the children of Israel. And he's going to help bring her back to, to Bnei Israel. The problem, if he's not a Sadiq, you could imagine a guy who goes, Hey, I can see I'm going to go through the bar. I'm going to go to the clubbing. That girl needs to have connections. <laughs> Boom! Okay. <laughs> so you can't do that. You have to have a guy on this level. So who's the guy on this level? We started by saying, who's this soldier? This soldier is a guy who has no sins. He's the guy at the highest level spiritually. So he's the guy who could connect. And he's the guy who, who could sort of bring her soul back to the level of Kiddushah. Look, it's the guy, it's Luke Skywalker, okay, we'll go. He has the force with him, the soldier has the force with him. That, I guess really that's the easiest way to understand. You know, it's a guy who has the force, who's pure, 
right? He was the only one qualified to go to war. Those were the only guys qualified, only pure. And if they were pure and those were the, the army of the force, then they could see if there was a spark on the other side to help draw it back. So Luke sees his father and says, you know, come back with me, Dad. You know, I'll bring you back. Right? Isn't that part of the movie? He tells him. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, and she's been learning some Kabbalah somewhere else and this and that, but I don't know if the idea that our physicality really is a distraction. The re, our reality is, is in a spiritual realm. And so people who are elevated are seeing things at a spiritual level. But, but it's, it's, it's a feel also. You sometimes walking and you're thinking about someone and they walk, you're walking on the block, there's a building in here. They're walking this way, you're walking this way, you're thinking about them, all of a sudden you come to the corner and meet. How? Your souls can talk to each other before you see each other. There's a spiritual connection that's beyond the physical. So I it goes. Just say that yeah, for a long period of time, you don't see this person. Suddenly it just pops into your mind. In the next second, you're there. You're there. How does that happen? That's, that's your soul. So if you see your soul is external of you, right. or your higher self, eh, a lot of names for all these things. Right. So your soul is external from you. Right. Your soul is beyond time, space, motion. Right. So your soul and that soul are touching. Right. So your soul is seeing and conveying to you in a uh, super conscious, whatever, I don't want to no, call it subconscious. And it's yeah. conveying to you, hey, think about this person. And all of a sudden, because it oh, knows we're coming together. Yeah, or the souls yeah. bring each other together. The outer souls. The Arizal says it also works the other way. He says, how? He brings the example. He says, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, sees Dina, it says, what does he say? He says, my soul cleaves to her. What do you mean his soul cleaves to her? He says, when he's, and he's, when he's trying to persuade the inhabitants of Shechem to agree, he tells them that we're going to take their wives, they'll take our daughters. We need to connect the sparks. And when he says about the soul being, and, and that's the, the opposite that Arizal says. He says, even the dark side wants to pull the soul. So when you see the girl, okay, who represents the dark side, She's after you, not realizing that she's on behalf of the dark side, is pulling your spark. That's the danger. That's what the Arizal brings. Is that regarding when marriages don't work? No, no. I'm saying that... Uh, so that, that if, if a more righteous soul could be duped yes. by the power of the perception right. of a spark. Right. So... You, you got it. The dark side sends out a woman. Right. The woman you're attracted to. Right. The woman sleeps with you. Once that woman sleeps with you. Did you marry her? No, you didn't marry her. You didn't marry her. She draws your soul from you. She draws your your spark of Kiddushah, which is very, very difficult. As if she leaves you? To get, to get yeah. back, yeah. And then she leaves you. She draws that holy Kiddushah. No, she can stay with you. She can stay with you. Oh, but she's drawing... Little by little, she she's drawing you down. Down. She's yeah. draining you. And that's how do you know that woman's for you or not for you? No, because she's coming from a place of Tuma. How do you know that? She's not, she's, not, uh, she's not a person you're allowed to marry. Oh, I see. She's a uh, forbidden. She's a forbidden for person to marry. Relationship. Right. Exactly. Like a non-Jew and so forth. Right, or, or other things. I see. Or no, right. even if you're a Kohen and she's this, she or if you're... A, there's a lot of things that could be. Whatever it is, so it's going to drain you. Relationship. It's going to drain your kiddushah. If you get, if 
you get enticed by this, this lady. Right. She's on the, on the other side. She's draining your Kedusha. That's what the Ari is saying. That's the, the opposite of what could, be, what could happen. Yeah, the right person will, will help elevate you. Now, the problem I have with all of this work, is, is there a greater person than David HaMelech as a soldier? King David. King David. Joshua. So, King, it's interesting, but, but think of yeah. King David. Okay. Who's is Joshua married? Uh-huh. Rahab. Rahab. And who is Rahab? She, 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 she was, was the madam of the, of the, of the brothel of, Jer- of Jericho. Yeah, but what does she do first? She saves them. She puts she out put the, them in a basket. So huh? she, she saves them. And, and so he's redeeming that kiddushah. So she made takana. Yeah. She made right. teshuvah. So she went on a high level. Yeah. He comes along. And he together. and then she. Had, but she must have had sparks that allowed her to do what she did. That allows him to marry her. And from their descendants come very special people. way of just saying contract a bond so there's something between the spark of the soul that you bond and then the elevation can happen so the, you're doing it in a way of Kiddushah Kiddushah is holiness okay, so there are three ways to acquire a wife it doesn't need that a one way of acquiring a wife is through biyah, through, through sex could be one way it's just you're you're becoming you're coming together. Okay. You're forming a bond. But it is a bond. It's a bond, and when you form a bond, in order to break the bond, you can't just break the bond and throw her in the garbage. You have to make sure that she has money, this, that. There's a prenup. A Jewish marriage requires every Jewish marriage requires a prenup, and the prenup requires the man because, again, given the assumption that the man is the provider requires the man to make sure that after the marriage breaks up he can't just throw her into the street he has to make sure she's provided for so it's a bond it's accountability so sometimes I find that here we're talking about a woman and a man but it's also just a metaphor if we're going to war there's an idea of you can have the Vilna go like this Sadiq who's prepared for any war but there's all kinds of wars, and depending so that, on how you feel. That's the final view of the. That's going to be the final view of the. So I think everybody's participating in their own war. They have to be vigilant. You have so to be trying. That's what he's going to say. Okay. That's well, then so, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to we'll let finish you it. Let him say it. But that's exactly that's the final. But just one, the one question I have is David Amelech, when his son Avshalom is out to kill him. And Avshalom takes over the kingdom. Now remember, why does Avshalom take over the kingdom? He thinks that his father has failed. Avshalom is a nazir. Nazir for life. Meaning, and it says when a nazir saw the sota, he saw the woman who slept with or whatever was accused of, he becomes a nazir. He sees his father as a failure. Why? Because his father failed with Batsheva. And therefore, his father is a failure. And in order for the kingdom to continue, he has to take over for his father and throw his father out and become the king. Majority of the children of Israel back him against his father. His, uh, his, own, his cabinet, many people in his cabinet. David's own advisors go to him, meaning his argument had to be very valid. The reason he fails is he still had to respect his father. Now, when this all happens... 
David says he's going to commit avodazara. He's going to commit idolatry. And they say, why? He says, because I don't want people to say that my son rebelled against me for no reason. So if I commit idolatry, there'll be a reason that I lost the kingdom. His advisor, Hushai, says, David, what are you, stupid? He says, don't you read the Torah? It says, it says that a person who takes a yefat Torah, a woman who's a captive in war, the next thing, the chapter is, is a man who has two wives, one he loves and one he hates. He has to take care of the child of the one he hates. And the child that he hates is going to end up becoming Ben Sorer Morea, a rebellious son, and they're going to end up putting him to death. He says, look what happened. You married the mother of Avshalom. Who was she? She was the daughter of a certain king who was a Yefat Toar, who David HaMelech took him born. And then what happens is, she has a child. And maybe you didn't treat her as well as you could have. And her child becomes Ben Sorel Moreh. This is what the Torah tells you. If you do one thing, but David says, no, but it's a mitzvah. So Hushai says, yeah, it's a mitzvah, but you didn't have to do it. Only if you had, you could have overcome the desire. So that's the problem with the whole thing, the Horachayim, because David Amelech fails. So I tried to look in the, in the Arizal, why does David fail? He says that because David, he says he talks about David, the whole thing in the Gemara, I just don't want to go through the whole thing now. He says that he was Chutz Aretz. He says that he really wasn't going to make Avodah If you go Chutz Aretz, it's like you're committing Avodah He says when he fought the wars, he's outside the land. And when you're outside the land, your eyesight, spiritual eyesight, changes. So he thought he saw in this woman the spark, eh, but he was wearing he was wearing the uh, dark glasses. He was wearing dark glasses from the uh, outside the thing and he didn't see. Now let's just go that so that that's the one that leaves me a question. But let's just find the the last one of the Orachaim is the third level. This is the level that's very personal. So I'm going to read it here. The Orachaim interprets this law as, as an example of each person's personal battle with his own evil inclination. Why do we have it in the Torah? We're not going to war. We're not taking the woman now. Even if we were going to war today, the rabbis wouldn't allow, wouldn't allow you to take the woman. Okay. So he says, so we'll just finish with this. If you go out to war, it's referring to the descent of each person from the supernal realms, you know, from heaven to this world. Person's born, he comes into this world. He has to be prepared to use great strength to battle his evil inclination, the Yetzir This is the person's most significant battle in his life. And the Mishnah says, Ezehu Gibor, right? Ezehu Gibor, who is a strong man? Hakovesh, who conquers Et Yitzro, his inclination. Yes. Against your enemies. So it says, Ki milchama al oivecha. Who's oivecha? We say every day when we pray, Hashem, you should save me. He says, And vechol oivecha, vechol sonecha, mehera yikaretu. All your enemies and all those who hate you, Hashem should destroy. Who's oivecha? Oivecha is your mortal enemy. Who's your mortal enemy? Your evil inclination. Right? He says, one may never retire from fighting the battle with his yetzer Otherwise, the opponent will succeed in eradicating him from this world. He says, Hashem's going to deliver into your hands. That's, again, he's quoting each pasuk. He says, despite the superhuman strength of the yetzer if you ask God for help and you rely on God, He could help you overcome the yetzer He says, and you take his captive by vanquishing the yetzer one can reclaim the energy that had been trapped by the dark side 
from him. So what is he seeing? He's seeing, and you see among the captives a beautiful woman. This is referring to the person's own soul. Your own soul is being held captive, and you need to bring it back. Because a man's soul and a woman's soul. You were good. You, you see your own soul. No, it's only saying because it's just using this as a. What what you call what you call it? What did you call this? You called this a. Oh, I don't. No, no. You called this. This is a. You know, the story is. A metaphor. Metaphor. So the so that's what's thinking. So yeah, because it, when the soul comes out, it's meant to too, right? No, no. But here he's not seeing the others. He's not seeing his wife. He's seeing himself in in that in, in that cell. It's it's only it's it's not a real. It's not in really the guy going to war. In that woman. No, no, no. There's no woman. It's telling you when yeah. your soul come when you come to the world. Yeah. You're going to come to the world right. and you're going to see you're battling the Yetzirah. Right. And as you're battling the Yetzirah, sometimes the Yetzirah is winning. Right. But if you go to Hashem, He's going to help you. Right. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see you're winning the war, right. but the Yetzirah still is holding your soul. Right. You, He's holding you captive. He says, what do you have to do? You desire her. You want to get your soul back. Right. You want to restore yourself. You want to be whole again. Part of you is missing. Which isn't her. It's only metaphor, <laughs> not a real her. It's not about a woman. You shall bring her into your home. The body is supposed desire. to be the home of the soul. When a person sins, his soul is distanced from his body, right. and it's replaced by negative forces within him. All right. What does he want to do? He wants to take back, it says, one who destroys his soul in anger. By repenting, one brings back his soul home, right. becomes the master of the soul. She shaves her head, the nails, the garments. This is to cleanse the soul of the unholiness, of the external. The the, always the tumah is represented by the hair, the nails, and the garments. He says, and stay in your house and weep for her a full month. Yerach Yamin. Yerach is the month of Elul. This ah, month of Elul is Yerach Yamin, 30 days. He says, that's the time... He says this particular month, that's why we read this parasha this month. He says because Elul is, the, the term of Elul, it's Aleph, Lamid, Vav, Lamid, Ani, Ledodi, Vedodi, Li, I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. That's when we're connecting to our soul or our godly higher self. But the, the woman... There's no woman. It's me. It's me. It's that my really soul. Is. Right? My soul is drawn away from me. I need to get her back. I hear what you're saying. So for one month's time, this is Elul. Introspection. This is Elul. But when you marry the, the, your wife, she has so, your soul as well, right? Which one? <laughs> Which wife? Well, the first wife. My first wife? Yeah. Your wife? Yeah. So okay, so that's a separate. So that. So that's really yes. So that we're going to say I, your soul was split before birth and your obligation is to find the other half of your own soul so you and that's why you're required one of the questions when you get to heaven is did you try to get married and did you try to have children right. it's not did you get married and did you have so children you out, did you try did you make the attempt to find the other half of your soul so let me right so when you go out to find your wife she's like you're going out into battle you're going out into battle to get no that's only once you got married to Sorry, reclaim your soul. Okay.